Hello everyone, this is Deborah Richardson and today I am putting the AP in Happy where accounts payable teams are empowered to protect the vendor master file from fraud. This podcast will give a voice to accounts payable team members by talking about the growing reality of cyber attacks in their world and which vendor setup and vendor management techniques they can apply to protect the vendor master file from fraud. If you are looking for vendor process training for you or your entire vendor team, head over to my site at DeborahRRichardson.com and click on the Vendor Team Training Solved button to learn more about what is included in the monthly or annual plan and also to download a 2021 training schedule. Get the training that you and your team needs to avoid payment fraud, duplicate vendors, compliance fines, and more. Rightfully so, you've probably added additional steps to your vendor ad change process to avoid fraud, regulatory fines, and just overall bad vendor data. Keep them, but then look at these three ways that can speed up the process and maybe offset some of that additional time for those preventative steps. Keep listening. Welcome to episode 132, three ways to speed up the vendor onboarding process. For the past few years, fraud has been on the rise and accounts payable has been a target, especially in 2020, where per the FBI, fraud incidents complaints rose 150% over 2019 levels. Now, as a result, the vendor onboarding process, including changes to existing vendor information, has changed to reduce the potential for those fraudulent payments. Now, these changes have added additional turnaround time for the vendor teams, and rightfully so, but there are other more efficient ways to offset these increases or that increase. And on that note, if you want to hear more about the FBI Internet uh, Internet Crime Complaint Center, IC3, and their 2020 stats, especially on business email compromise, uh, listen to episode 128. I go over that. Plus, it includes what to do if you fall victim. Again, that is episode 128. All right, so let's look at why it's taking longer. Now, in my previous blog post, three reasons why it should take longer to add or change a vendor. And that's also a podcast uh, episode number 26, so a fairly early one. But in that episode and on that blog post, I outlined my proprietary authentication validation management process to avoid fraud, regulatory fines, and just overall bad vendor data. Admittedly, causing the vendor team to take more time to set up a new vendor as well as, and this is really important, uh, updating existing vendors. So think banking changes, think business email compromise. Now I'm not saying it wasn't the right thing to do and whatever you put into place to mitigate your risk is fine and it's right. 
But here's why I said that it should take longer. And this was again, based on my proprietary process, because the first step of authentication is when the vendor maintenance team receives a request to add a new vendor or update an existing vendor, the first step is to authenticate the that the request did not come from a froster. So you're going to authenticate who that vendor is by asking them two to three um, authenticating questions. And think about it, it's the same way that when you call your bank, your bank asks you certain security questions so that they know that you are you. And so I talk about doing the same thing um, when you receive a request from your vendor, either through email or through phone. So that is a critical step. It may take a little longer, not as much time as if you're on the phone, um, but it will take some additional time if you're validating via email. The second step validation is to ensure the vendor is real, the vendor data submitted is real, and that the vendor is not on any watch list. Um, the vendor team needs to perform the maximum vendor validations as possible. So it's not just about the IRS 10 match, uh, although that can help you for compliance reasons and also um, for uh, reasons to avoid fraud so you know it's your real vendor. Um, but it's not just about the IRS 10 match. It's making sure that the vendor is real um, using other methods as well. Because remember, the vendor is not, um, not all vendors have an IRS tax ID if, uh, if they're non-US vendors. And so you need to look at other vendor validations, even if it is a US vendor uh, in combination with the IRS 10 match. So I'm talking about validating that the address is real uh, and not a um, parking lot next to a liquor store, which did or did not happen to me in the past. Uh, also, uh, so the address, and then also uh, if the vendor is not a US vendor and does not have an IRS 10, there are other uh, validations or global registration numbers um, based on country. So Canada has the business number. Uh, India, you can use GST. The UK, you can use VAT. Um, there are other uh, individual and business registration numbers or identity numbers that uh, countries have that if they do not have a validation resource, then you could at least validate the format. And so the first thing to start with is to download my vendor validation reference list uh, that has 28 validations on it, I believe now. And uh, then you'll get an opportunity to uh, purchase at a discount the global vendor registration numbers list, which has the list of uh, vendor registration numbers for 100 plus countries. So check that out. But the point is, is that doing those extra validations means it's going to take extra time. Again, it's not just about the IRS 10 match. Now, the third is management, and that is inactivating or revalidating vendors to maintain accurate vendor data. And why does this take your team extra time in the vendor uh, setup and change process? It's because um, you may need, if you inactivated a vendor you haven't done business with in 18 months, and now all of a sudden your internal employee is going to use them, they may think that, and there's a change, they may think that all they have to do is send you 
the change. When in reality, since you inactivated the vendor, you need to treat that vendor as a new vendor setup. And so now you have to, you have to get the W9, you have to get your vendor setup form. If you require one, you have to get a new banking ACH form. So you're treating that vendor like a new vendor and not like a, uh, an existing vendor. So it's going to take additional time because you're going to have to go back to the vendor or the internal employee and ask for more documentation. Now, again, uh, all of that put together, uh, it are those are preventative um, measures which are absolutely needed. If there are additional preventative measures you put into place, by all means keep them. But there may be some places that you can offset that additional time. I'm sure it'll make your vendor team happy and I'm really sure it will make your internal team members happy and your vendors happy. So three ways to speed up the process. Now, the first way is to create customized forms. Um, one of the biggest pain points in vendors uh, is them not knowing how to complete the IRS form uh, W-9 accurately. Now, since the IRS allows substitute W-9 forms, how about combining that form with your vendor setup form? Now, I do have a blog post that will be linked that talks about how to, um, uh, if you can switch to a W-9, a substitute W-9 form, and it talks about the IRS requirements. And I actually really like the use of that form because one, you can just ask on the form um, what their name is, first and last name, or if it's a company name to put that in. And then if they have a DBA, you can ask for that DBA name. Now, if that vendor is a sole proprietor, they don't have to say, they don't have to know that they need to put their first name, uh, first and last name on line one of the W-9 and then their DBA, which is a disregarded entity, which nobody ever knows what a disregarded entity is. They don't need to know that they have to put their DBA name or whatever name they're going to uh invoice you in on that line two for the disregarded entity. You're just asking them questions and then you know what to put in when you go to do the 10 match. And so it's kind of a win-win. Um, I know it's not always possible to do that hundred percent across the board because a lot of uh, especially bigger companies, they already have their W-9s figured out. They know how to, um, what they need to put on it. Uh, the biggest uh, issue there is just making sure you get the right one since some companies have quite a few entities. Um, but uh, to make that easier all around, using a customized uh, vendor setup form that is that also serves as your substitute W-9 form can just um, uh, make it easier for the vendors to send that in. Also, uh, create a company branded ACH form so you can request the information you need to add, update um, vendor banking from your real vendor and not a fraudster. So you can include authenticating data such as their existing banking information or maybe the last three uh, deposit dates and amounts. Plus, you can also ask them for their um, uh, tax ID, um, 
maybe even the remit address because you people saw folks out there maybe your oracle folks with your side ids you know you got to uh, attach it to the right address so that could do um, uh, be uh, helpful for you so you can do that as well now i will have a link to a uh, vendor banking form template uh, in the blog post and again the blog post will be linked in the um, in the show notes now this is a paid template but uh, it will save you quite a few hours of work uh, that you don't have to create one from scratch now both of these saves the vendor team time from that back and forth trying to get all the information needed and trying to get the forms filled out correctly in order to process the request now the second one is to track the confirmation. So if you do not have a fully authenticated process, um, like a vendor portal or maybe a, uh, the authentication of the data source and of the data, in order to eliminate making those confirmation phone calls um, when you receive a request to update uh, vendor data, tracking confirmations can save the vendor team time. So you're probably making those confirmation phone calls when there are bank changes, but you also need to make them when there are uh, changes uh, for um, remit addresses, if it's a bank change, um, and really any information on the vendor master file that you use to make payments or even communicate with the vendors. So those confirmation calls uh, need to be made. And even before the uh, pandemic, it was hard to catch vendors on the phone the first time. And so tracking means the next employee can start where their last employee left off. And it means that the confirmation won't slip through the cracks. Uh, and take longer and just delay the vendor payment. Because I know if, if you guys are have that process in place, you're not paying that vendor until you get the confirmation and you don't want your you or any employees on the vendor team to miss that because then uh, the vendor uh, just won't be paid. And what I found is that, uh, and, and again, when I was a practitioner, I had a team of 17 and we probably had um, um, uh, four or five at one time doing just strictly vendor setup. And so if somebody was out and you have a tracking log, then you have a way for that next employee to come behind the employee that's out and continue it instead of waiting for that employee to come back. Now, the third one is a welcome letter. So when you onboard a vendor, send them a welcome letter, email, should be an email because you should require an email address by now, um, but send them that welcome letter telling them how to do business with accounts payable and specifically the accounts payable vendor team. So in addition to telling them where they need to send the invoice and that type of thing, also tell them what is required to to submit changes to the vendor uh, to their vendor data, uh, the company branded ACH form for bank changes, uh, the W nine if they have a name change or a tax ID change, that saves the vendor team time from having to take that call or respond to the email to explain the process 
at the time that it's needed. And you know how that goes. They usually don't contact uh, the vendor team or AP until something's wrong with the payment and now they have to have something changed. And at that time, now it's an urgent process. Um, not saying everybody's gonna read the, the uh, welcome letter or the email, but maybe they will, or maybe they'll save it so that they, when they do have a change, they'll access it and send it to you. Any event, um, you've covered your bases by uh, communicating with the vendor, um, again, as a preventative measure to make sure that they know how to do business with the accounts payable vendor team. Okay, so those are the three ways to speed up the process. I'll repeat them, create customized forms, uh, track confirmation, and then also send a welcome letter. Now, all three of these things I have templates for they are in a uh, uh, the toolkit. It's the three-step vendor setup and maintenance process, authentication, validation, management um, toolkit, and it is available on my uh, on my website. And again, I'll have a link to that um, within the blog post. Um, actually, I'll put a link in the show notes to that as well, in case you want to go directly to it. And again. All of the things I talked about and more, including templates for desktop procedures, are in that toolkit. So thanks everyone. I hope you enjoyed the 132nd episode of the Putting the AP in Happy podcast, where accounts payable teams are empowered to protect the vendor master file from fraud. Don't forget to check the show notes for the links mentioned in the podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, consider subscribing and writing a review of my podcast on the platform that you use to listen. Stay happy. Stay happy.